This podcast is brought to you by MedTech Innovation News, the publication for professionals working in the UK and Ireland's medical device industry. Subscribe now at medtechnews.com. Hello and welcome to this episode of the MedTalk podcast, where we discuss the latest news and issues in life sciences. I'm Olivia Freyett, the editor of Medical Plastics News, and we are joined today by Mick Fry, an engineer at Minitronics Medical. So Mick, Minitronics Medical work to reduce the systemic complexity of medical devices. You claim that reductions in the complexity lead to reductions in setbacks in engineering. Uh, could you tell me a bit about this and what you do yourself? Sure. Um, I'm a senior principal product engineer here at Minitronics. I've been in the medical device space for um, about 30 years. And what I've seen over that experience is that oftentimes uh, startup companies in particular uh, kind of race to prove safety and efficacy of a device or a design um, to get to the next goal of uh, 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 funding or submission to the regulatory bodies. And as such, they submit designs that are sometimes kind of glued together um, by hook or by crook. And a lot of times that uses techniques that are, are not scalable in manufacturing. So what I try to do is sometimes counsel customers in better ways to design medical devices so that they have a chance of bypassing a lot of the firefighting and change orders that are typical in a uh, medical device assembly uh, line ramp up, right? So if we can bypass those, we actually can shorten the time to market. We can get to um, successful market penetration sooner if we sometimes slow down or even stop and back up the design um, process just a little bit and design toward those processes that are most scalable. And where and when do medical devices typically become overly complicated? Uh, In the lab, I would say, on, on the bench. A lot of times we have some extremely intelligent people who really know their field, know their science, um, know the, the medical space they're working within, but may not have exposure to um, manufacturing practices and industrial manufacturing processes that are used to make high volumes in a reliable, repeatable, well-characterized, and most importantly, scalable fashion. This podcast is brought to you by Medical Plastic News, the leading voice in polymer innovation for the medical device sector. To read more and to subscribe, visit medicalplasticnews.com. I read something about you um, describing devices being built like a Lego-style format. Um, Could you expand on that a little bit, please? I love Legos, right? I was raised (laughs) on Legos. I think a lot of engineers were made because of Legos, right? You you can build things... um, with a set of bricks and your imagination is the only limit, right? Um, It wasn't a cut on Lego. Um, What I meant was we tend to get in the mindset of starting a design with part A, adding part B, part C, part D, E and F, till we get to a shape that we want. And what that does is it creates challenges in manufacturing because you can only build a part to plus or minus some tolerance And then the part that you add to that has a tolerance, plus or minus. And then if you continue to stack parts together, all of those variations in manufacturing add up, what we call a tolerance stack. And this becomes a challenge. So um, that was the reference to Lego. Um, If you were to take that design um, goal and then 
reverse it, say, I understand what you built with your Legos. I understand the shape that you want. Now let's use a different process to make that shape in as few parts as possible, preferably one, so that all the sources of manufacturing variation are not compounding each other. They're not adding to each other, right? We can limit those sources of variation. You'll end up with a more robust process and more stable product over the lifetime of the product. You said in the past that designers tend to focus on shorter term goals and can use whatever they have at hand. Uh, what would you say are the potential drawbacks of doing something like this? Right. Um, so obviously they're, they're trying to prove effectivity of their device, right? Um, safety, obviously, but effectivity first. Hey, we've got this new device that does something and here's the proof. So they clutch together a prototype, right? And if oftentimes uh, that means gluing things together or building them uh, with tape or um, some other process that just gets them a, a rough prototype to prove efficacy, right? Um, so that's kind of what I meant by that. Okay, um, and in your opinion, how, how can complexity be reduced? Um, so the way that we do it is we take a systemic look at the entire device design and all the manufacturing processes that are used to build all the component parts of that design. And we try to understand as best we can what the requirements are, what the deliverable is, and then remix it in a different way that gets them the same result in as few number of parts and processes as possible. And by doing that, we reduce the systemic complexity of not only the design, but the entire manufacturing system that is used to create all those parts that add up to that design and that product. And an example, you would have to engineering control one device or um, part design, and then you'd have to order that from a vendor who might have tooling to make that, and then they submit it back to you and you would receive, inspect that component to make sure that it met your requirement and then put it on the line. If you do that a hundred times for a hundred different components, the systemic load on your company is a hundredfold, right? So even, even cutting in half the number of components is a huge systemic uh, relief to your company, right? If you have to go out and specify and control and then purchase and receive and inspect material move and then assemble, you're handling these parts multiple times. Um, if you can cut that problem in half, um, you're, on, you're on the right path. Right? So that's what I mean by reducing the systemic complexity of a design. Okay, thank you. Um, and when would you say is the best time to find opportunities to reduce complexity? Yesterday would be the best time. No, <laughs> as early as possible, right? Um, we find ourselves in, in a contract manufacturing business here uh, coming into a relationship with a customer who thinks they're well on the way to manufacturing or maybe already are manufacturing that device at another contract manufacturer and having difficulties doing it. They're feeling a lot of pain and they think just changing the manufacturer who's building it is gonna fix everything, right? Um, it's harder to fix things uh, the farther our, 
along you are on the design path, right? On that development path. It's easiest in the beginning when designs are concepts, maybe they're CAD models, maybe they're prototypes, maybe they're prints, but there isn't an infrastructure of processes and tooling and a, a whole bunch of you know, money tied up in, in uh, parts and inventory. And then most importantly, um, the regulatory submissions, right? If they've already submitted a design that is difficult or impossible to manufacture, um, it's really hard to incrementally push that design towards something better. It's oftentimes much easier to, with a clean slate, rethink and come out with a Gen 2 that is wholly redesigned, again, with the same requirements, the same method of action, but rethought in a, a more consistent and clear way um, built towards the, the manufacturing processes that are scalable. Okay, so you said like a further down the line, it might just be easier to have a clean slate. Um, can you ever get to a point where you can't go back from it or is there always a way to fix it? I wouldn't say you're ever at a point where you can't go back. Um, there's resistance to going back, uh, again, because uh, there's a lot of time and, and money invested and the thought of resubmitting and waiting for your know, regulatory response on a design that's already approved in order to change and go forward uh, is distasteful, right? It, it's harder to swallow that uh, the farther you are along your process. In the beginning, if it's just before submission, now that's the best time to make sure um, your design is as concise as possible. Okay, um, and how would you typically highlight such complexities and solutions? Right. Um, well, if they're if they're a brand new startup, um, a brand new design that is maybe in concept or in prototype isn't being manufactured anywhere, we simply do an engineering review from top to bottom, right? And we take a look at how the design uh, is built, how it works, and then we do very simple things like counting up the number of components, right? Counting up the number of processes, especially the, the specialized processes that are used to build that. And then we try and poke holes in that. Hey, what could go wrong, right? If we do um, uh, a study on and enumerate all the failure modes of a particular part or processes, and then add those all up, we can kind of get a picture of what that design looks like. And then if we go through a, like a phase zero development project where we iterate the design and reduce the number of uh, components and complexities, we can do that study again and compare and contrast design A versus design B, right? And we might have, you know, 100 components in one design and 50 components in the other design. Um, 10 places where we use threaded fasteners or adhesives versus zero, right? And it becomes quickly apparent which process uh, a manufacturer would, would rather have in their plant running day to day, day in, day out, making high volumes of these um, products. It, it becomes very attractive to do the DFM, the hard work in the beginning, uh, once the leaders of the, the companies see that contrast, right? Okay, thank you. Um, and could you tell me more about how Minitronics actually help um, reduce the complexities? Sure. Um, recently, we um, <clears throat> partnered with a, a 
a development company that had a body-worn device that was optically based. And very intelligent um, scientists and physicists uh, who were you know, way over my head in terms of their understanding of the optical properties of, of light and how their, their device functioned in the body um, were used to sticking things together with glue, right? Because that's how they built it in the lab. And they really only needed to build one that worked. And they had an aha moment, Eureka, oh, we're off to the races and we're gonna sell this to you know, a big conglomerate medical device company for lots and lots of money. And <clears throat> what we do is um, we, we take a look at that design, like I said, um, we looked at it, it was very complex. There were 53 components in that design. Uh, everything from precision machined aluminum, uh, optical cavities, glass, uh, A-spheres, um, filters and, and lenses, and um, threaded fasteners. And then in, in that particular case, there were, I think, four uh, adhesives that had a cure time of like 16 hours each, meaning you could build a little portion of the assembly and then you had to put it in the oven and bake it and set a timer. Build another piece of the assembly, put it in the oven and bake it, set a timer, right? So you can imagine how difficult that would be. Um, we redesigned that from top to bottom and it was a four month exercise uh, at Minitronics. We did a, a cross-functional evaluation, everybody from you know the line operators to the, the tooling guys to uh, mechanical engineers, optical engineers, electrical engineers. And we all had a seat at the table where we were able to uh, put forth concepts and ideas. And then we would go off and build prototypes um, and then come back and you know, it's a great time to be an engineer right now. With 3D printers, you can come up with an idea and in a couple hours you can mock it up on CAD and then print it and you can bring it back to the table and say, see, this is what I was talking about. Um, very effective way to communicate designs, right? Yeah. Anyway, we took over and over iteratively, we took that design and remixed it and remixed it and remixed it until we reduced that complexity from 53 components down to seven components at final assembly. And we, we took that effort because the customer told us they wanted to get to volumes in the 600,000 per year range. And we just knew that it was unmanufacturable as is. And I think they realized it too, because they had other manufacturers telling them so. Um, so if you, if you kind of begin with the end in mind, what's your end goal? Is your goal just to start up this company and sell it off to somebody bigger and go you know, sit on the beach? Or do you actually want to affect patients' lives, right? And that's the higher goal that we have here at Minitronics is we want to actually have an effect on patients' lives. We don't want to work on projects necessarily that are you know, neat in science and, and uh, you know, shiny uh, new development, but flash in the pan. We want to actually help people. And I think that's the highest calling we can have is to actually <clears throat> run the long race so that the products get there to have the best effect on the population of people who are suffering from that particular condition. DFM, Design for Manufacturing, we think is really more of a mindset than a checkbox. If you regard DFM as just a, a checkbox on the list, of things that you do to get to production, you're doing it wrong. Uh, we think it, it's a mindset from the top to the bottom. And the leaders of the company need to understand 
what it is and what it isn't. There are macroscopic ways you can look at the whole project and and implement DFM, and then there are microscopic ways where you might look at one particular thing and just build it to the capabilities of the process that's used to manufacture that, right? So it's both. DFM needs to be practiced on both those scales, macroscopically and microscopically, as a mindset. And when we embrace it, we really see that we add to the value proposition of a particular company's portfolio in that their medical device um, may have safety and efficacy, may be regulatory approved, but we have a shorter timeline to stable production because, again, we can bypass, in large part, the firefighting change orders um, that happen uh, in the initial stages of the production. Okay, well, thank you very much for joining us today, Mick. Yeah, thanks for having me, Olivia.